Okay. Hello and welcome to a special 10th anniversary edition of New Matter, the SLES podcast. I'm the scientific director for SLES, Mike Tarselli. And joining me today is a distinguished guest, Dr. MJ Wildy. How are you? Hi, fine. How are you today? I am great. And I promise I'll drop the doctor from here on. It'll be MJ for the remainder of the podcast. So, Thank you. <laughs> welcome. How long, MJ, have you been a dedicated servant of SLAS and its precursor orgs? Uh, SLAS, since its merger, since the beginning, so 10 years. And okay, I know now maybe I'm getting into the age thing a little bit, but I was part of the SBS uh, back when it was still called Biomolecular Screening. And I started with that organization at the beginning in 1994. So it's been a long haul. <laughs> founding member. That's awesome. No, so you have the whole perspective from the beginning. Um, what role did you have in your professional life when you joined up in 94? And how has it changed from today? Ah, uh, Well, it's changed dramatically. Back in 1994, a uh, little history lesson, uh, HTS, high throughput screening, was really just getting started. Um, and so there was, uh, there was a lot of newness. There were a lot of problems. There were a lot of things that we needed to solve as a group. And I think that was uh, part of the, of what pulled everybody together to, to start this society. And um, uh, many of you may not know what this is, but uh, we started, I, I was putting together a natural product screening lab on Biomech 1000s. Wow. And, um, and Zymar Custom Systems. And, and at the time, Biomech 1000s were state-of-the-art. That's hard to imagine. And screening in 96 well plates was considered crazy on the edge. There were people that didn't want to believe our data because it couldn't possibly be right, you know, working in such small volumes like a couple hundred microliters. Very <laughs> different world from where we are today. I know, I know. <laughs> that sounds like a ton. Why would you waste all that sample? <laughs> Right. <laughs> exactly. And in those days, you know, we were coming from in the natural products world, coming from 18 by 150 millimeter test tubes. Wow. So, yeah, very, glass very different plastic? world from where we are. Uh, oh, glass. Because glass. when you have a robot crash, there's nothing better than glass flying all over the place. So <laughs> that's, that's an amazing transition. So tell me what you do now, assuming it's not on several hundred microliters in glass. It isn't. Uh, I'm still in screening. It's, uh, I think, part of my blood somewhere. It got uh, in, in, included in my DNA. So, um, but screening looks a lot different today. Uh, 1536 wells is the norm. We actually complain about having to screen in 384 well. And if we do, uh, we, we change our screening strategy because it's, it's so onerous from a volume perspective and a liquid volume perspective, as well as the number of plates that we have to screen. And our typical well volumes are more uh, in the, a couple of microliter ranges. Typical dispense volumes are, you know, nanoliters or, um, you know, one microliter or less. So it's a, it's a completely different world in many ways, but in many ways, it's still the same. Tell me a little bit about how it's still the same. I'm curious, um, are you, do you mean you still do the same assays or do you mean you're still prosecuting the same targets? Uh, tell me about these similarities. Ah, so I would, it's in, in maybe in a more esoteric way. We still have uh, problems, right? So we get new technology, we bring it in, but there's some things that are always the same. Variability in our biology, really understanding and, and listening to what the biology is telling us 
And uh, that in the context of the variability of the, of the biology and the systems that we're working on. So that just doesn't go away. Um, really understanding the, um, the, uh, the best way to prosecute on a target. I think uh, that is the same and different at, this, at the same time. That sounds very strange, but uh, <laughs> I think we've gotten smarter about uh, how we um, evaluate the biology and the effect on the disease state that you know, a, a specific compound library or substance library looks at. So um, the technologies have pushed us to be able to be maybe closer to a disease state and understand what we're evaluating better. But at the same time, we're still a bit in the dark because we don't really understand our disease states as well as we would like to. So it's, it's like a rolling circle. You know, you, you learn a little bit and then you, you hit another bottleneck, whether it be on variability, on detection limits, um, solve that and the circle rolls a little bit more and okay, well now, you know, we can do um, um, things like mass spec, high throughput mass spec detection. So we don't sure. need reporter genes anymore, which, which mess with the, with the general disease state and, and the expression of it. So it's just, it's like, I, I look at it as a constant rolling circle. Technology gives us something to work with, uh, but it presents a set of challenges that we then need to address either mechanically um, in how we interpret our data, data management. Uh, all those problems are the same and they just have different, um, mm, different answers, I guess, depending on, on what the current challenge is. That's a bit of a babble, but I hope it makes oh, some sense. <laughs> we understand. No problems. It's, it's a virtuous cycle. And hey, uh, it keeps us all intrigued and informed, right? Because there's new tech exactly. every single time with the new problems. So uh, yep. tell me about how SLAS and its precursor orgs have helped advance you personally, or perhaps your company over the past 10 years. Uh, what's changed for you? So I think that SLAS and SBS, this, this, this concept of, of this wonderful organization that we have, the biggest thing for me is that it enables networking um, with our vendors, with other scientists. Uh, we, we have so many of the, of the same common problems, uh, yet we have very diverse background in terms of experience. Um, either mechanically or biologically or from a chemical perspective. And that's fantastic because those different perspectives, when we converse and when we talk, allow us to really see things in a different light. And that takes us to, uh, to maybe answering some of those problems that we have. And so we can learn. So it's a, it goes back to that circle that we were just talking about. We need to interject knowledge. We need to interject diversity of thought. Um, uh, into this cycle. And the more that we, SLAS is, is a perfect breeding ground for that, right? We have such mm -hmm. a diverse group. And, and so that networking, I think, is really, really key. It's technology, it's new biology, it's these creative new ideas. It's bringing in the stuff that's going on in the academic labs. Uh, it might not, those things might not be ready to do, you know, a thousand plates a day for a high throughput screen, but it's a concept that combined with our background and our knowledge can take us to that, to that next new revolution. So I think SLAS is just that perfect hub for that. I don't, there's, to me, there's nothing else even close to it. Excellent. And, and I'm going to use a metaphor improperly here, but I mean, there's also that backwards translation of technology, right? You'd sort of like to also infer on smaller biotechs or academics what best practice is with robotics and high throughput screening and how to adopt it. 
Absolutely, because they'll push back uh, and say, well, geez, you know, this is something that we really can't do or isn't feasible. And I think um, if, if we could do a little history walk, I think that we've seen that um, in the academic labs. There used to be, in the olden days, a, a very separate academic environment from an industrial environment. And I don't think we see that anymore. There's, there's really a nice blend, but there's a recognition and a respect for each group that they have different pressure points, they bring different things to the table. And rather than, rather than them being separate things, they really should cross feed each other. And there's many tools now that you know, we consider uh, part of our staples that are, you, know, you, you go to an academic lab and they're on the bench. So, exactly. so I, it is a wonderful um, cross fertilization. And it's Still really hybrid. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And SLAS has a big part of that. Yeah, it's really hybridized over time, right? Because I mean, there's now tons of industrial postdocs and industrial research arms, and there's lots of medium throughput uh, scale automation in academia and bioinformatics suites, just like you would use. Mm -hmm. So, it's yeah, and I and I think that that's something that has transitioned from academics into the industrial setting more is that medium throughput. Um, you might want to call it the more boutique type or customized or high tech. Uh, assays that you really don't need to run um, really high numbers of compounds on. Uh, they may be a lower throughput, but much more fertile in terms of the type of information. So I, I think that that's something that we've learned in industry from the academic organization. Not everything has to be, um, you know, thousands and thousands of plates a day. That's actually a great launching off point to my next set of questions, which is uh, predictions and future and past and, and using your telescope to look both directions. Um, since we're talking about medium throughput adoption, what have you seen happen inside of the SLAS community and perhaps the screening community more broadly that you could never have predicted looking at your viewpoint in 2010? Ah, uh, good. That's a great question. I think um, the point of you don't have to screen every compound in your library um, through your live, uh, through your specific assay or disease state, is something that is transitioning, and I I, I see that as a revolution that's coming coming down the road, um, as artificial intelligence um, gains popularity, as our ability to really mine our data in in ways that we haven't before, and including other technologies that we haven't been able to mine, for all kinds of reasons. I, I see us being able to make better use of the data that we currently generate in the context of historical data, uh, in the context of new technologies, and, um, and, and then you know, moving that forward. Again, that continual circle is gonna move uh, a couple of blocks. So I, I really think that that is, is, uh, allows us to screen mm, smarter, if you will. Mm -hmm. And of course, we can ding the bell for AI because we're not yet 20 minutes in. And, and of course, AI is influencing every field. So tell me about future yeah. predictions. Tell me about 10 years on. And in 2030, when we have a follow-up podcast to this, what will you be doing that seems crazy right now? Um, hmm. I, think, uh, I think similar throughput perhaps for some of our assays. I think um, a, a wider scope of lower throughput assays and really uh, 
to, to the conversation we just had, really doing more um, with the data that we generate. So not having to screen um, these, these huge libraries anymore, screening smaller, using data mining, using um, um, bioinformatics to make better sense of our data. So maybe this is a coin phrase, but maybe appropriate, doing more with less. So I don't think that in, in 30 years, we're gonna, I'm going to have these big, huge screening systems. Um, I think I'm going to have much smaller systems that will uh, be able to do a, a, a more diverse platform of, of assays and potentially uh, more disease state relevant at the wow. primary stage of screening. That's amazing. And, and being able to think about a screening lab as being the entry point to every disease imaginable and any compound you can get your hands on is, wow, it's a big, big vision. Mm -hmm. And not just compounds. You know, I, I, I now get um, uh, leery, I guess, I, for myself, calling them compounds. I call them substances because, <laughs> you know, we have small molecules, we have biologics, sure. we have peptides. Who knows? So, Viral capsids yeah. tissue, sure, of course. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Okay. Um, and closing out a little bit, what advice would you give to a person, maybe a first-year graduate student, who would be early career, doesn't know what they want to do yet, but thinks that the interface of life science and technology is where they want to live? What would you tell that person? I say bravo, and, I, and I'm envious. I think that sitting at that interface is... Um, it, it can be life-changing. Don't silo, learn as much as you can about all the aspects of, of the biology and, and the mechanics of, of how all this works. Really maintain those networks. And um, uh, because I think that's where the revolution is. I think we have to be brave and, and, and the, the starting out folks are really, really good at that because they don't have all the baggage that those of us that have been around for a while do. So be brave, be bold, be purposeful, um, really own and seek out the problems and, and try to solve them in a way that we haven't looked at or thought about before, because that's where the answers and the revolutions are. So it, it's um, really push and, and don't be afraid of, of not knowing, but continue to network and ask questions. That's really great advice. And I hesitate to ask you this last thing because it feels like it'll cheapen it a little bit. But any closing thoughts as we celebrate this 10th anniversary that you want to say out to the community? It's amazing that we're at our 10th anniversary already. Honestly, if you would have said two or three years, I would have said, I would have said, oh, yeah. So I can't believe it's <laughs> been 10 years. But it's been it's been a remarkable 10 years. And, and the changes that we've seen in SLES, I think, talk to uh, the evolution and revolution of screening. And it's a wonderful organization and an opportunity to really um, enrich your own, your, your, your personal um, work as well as what you're, what you're contributing, to, contributing to your organization. That's really great, MJ. And thank you very much for sharing as much as you have. We love your vision. We love your dedicated enthusiasm on all of our committees. And thank you very much for being here for New Matter. Oh, thank you. It was wonderful to chat. Thanks. No problem.